You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I think about my existence and my consciousness, and I want there to be a God. Foolishly, I'd wish reality would respect my wants. Laughably, I know it cannot. To get to God, if there is a God, hope won't work. Is there another way? The easy way appears to be design. At least that's the way it used to be. Gaze up into the heavens, immerse in all the stars, Peer down at the earth, marvel at all the creatures. How could all of this be if there were no God? Well, quite easily. All this can be if there were no God, I'm told, once you know the science. What's the deep thinking on both sides? Can design point to God? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. For those who believe in God, the argument from design seems obvious. I've thought about design for decades. I've grown more skeptical, and that makes me sad. Yet recently, with advances in physics and cosmology, and even in philosophy, arguments on both sides have become more sophisticated. So I start over, approach design afresh. I begin with a baseline of belief, a scientist who believes that God exists. The professor emeritus of astronomy and the history of science at Harvard, Owen Gingerich. Owen, as an astronomer and as someone who believes, how do you look upon the argument from design as being potentially helpful to see whether God exists? Well, first of all, I have to say that I'm very impressed by the congeniality of the physical universe for the formation of intelligent life. There are so many things that seem to be almost on a knife edge that they're just right, so much so that it's really quite awesome. But I'm very ambivalent about this because I don't think you can make a proof argument out of design because there are too many ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I think if you approach the universe with eyes of faith, then all of these wonderful aspects do become evidence that there is something special, and this is a very logical way of understanding what is otherwise a deep mystery. I'm sure that someone who isn't impressed with this will not find this particularly persuasive won't necessarily drive you to the existence of God. So um, what we're saying is that if you come with a predisposition to believe, then the data of the physical universe is very consistent with it. Very much so. I just feel that this explains more than disbelief. There is so much data from cosmology that Uh, I think skeptics have had to 
think about this fairly hard. And I know skeptics can say, saying that God was a designing creator doesn't solve anything for you. It just moves it back one step. I'm not sure how to address that, but it is part of an integrated system of beliefs that I have. I think it hangs together. You see, otherwise, I'm forced into a position of saying, well, it's all chance. The universe is meaningless and purposeless. And that I find myself psychologically incapable of accepting. Owen is honest. He just cannot accept a universe without meaning or purpose. But his argument from the congeniality of the universe for life to the likely existence of God can be undermined, if not defeated, by multiple universes. Physics predicts staggering numbers of universes. And if the number is sufficiently large, perhaps infinite, anything that's possible becomes inevitable. A universe like ours with living beings like us must occur. And because we can exist only in a universe that is congenial for our existence, we imagine we see design when we do not. All we really see is randomness through the biased lens of self-selection. But can design be resurrected? I recall my talk with Ernan McMullen, a Catholic priest who studied physics with Schrodinger and was chairman of philosophy at Notre Dame. Ernan died in 2011. My notion of creation is such that God brings the universe to be in a single act of creation, and it is the way that God wants it to be right from the beginning. God doesn't have to, as it were, you slip in a mosquito here and an elephant there or anything like that. Now, Aquinas, when he looked at that issue, said, the only way in which I can understand that is to suppose that the universe from the beginning was such that, for example, animals will, in fact, by instinct and by structure, be proper for their own environment, will lay eggs at the right time of year, will, so to speak, and so on. All of that uh, in detail, that seems to require a designer. Now, of course, what happened in the 17th century was a little different, because in the 17th century there was a great falling off in religious belief, a growth of atheism and so on, in many ways tied with the coming of science, I suppose. But at any rate, what, what happens then is that those working with the living world, they said, look, there is in fact a kind of ad adjustment of means to end here, that the structures of living things seem to be just right for that kind of being. And the, uh, the behaviors, the instinctive behaviors in particular, now how could that be? Because these are not thinking beings. How do they know how to do the right thing? I mean, why do they do that? Okay, so a whole argument from design was constructed in that time. And it was a very good argument because that was the best answer you could get at that time. And then of course Darwin comes along and says, well, I can give you a different answer. And Darwin's answer has turned out to be very persuasive. Now, that argument from design has collapsed. And so that line of thinking, it seems to me, is simply not profitable anymore. The only argument from design that I can see, or that's even remotely analogous to that, that would work today, I think, is to look at the conditions under which there should be a universe of this kind at all, and to say that the universe as we have it is a very specific kind of universe. It's a life 
bearing universe. And it turns out, according to the best science of today, that that's a very specific kind of, it has to have a lot of adjustments at the beginning, so what is called sometimes fine tuning, in order to be the kind of universe that it is. That argument is uh, not really the traditional argument from design. It, it, it involves a design in one way, but it does it not by supposing that a design uh, is imposed later on within the history of the universe, but rather to say that the universe from the beginning, from its beginning, is the kind of universe that one would expect from a creator who in fact sees the future of human beings as part of that universe. One last thing about that. Traditionally, the argument design was a kind of standalone argument that if you look at, for example, living things, you must see that God has to be invoked and so on. I, I don't see this argument uh, as a standalone argument. It has to be taken in conjunction with a much more metaphysical argument, which is why there should be a universe at all. If you allow that question to be asked, and physicists block it sometimes, but if you allow that question to be asked, then the argument from design takes a very comfortable place within it. I have no patience with so-called intelligent design because that's a, an act of desperation, so to speak. That's trying to, as it were, uh, revive pre-Darwinian argument. I don't see that that is going to go anywhere. Uh, and in fact, it can do some harm because it sets science against religion. On the other hand, the uh, initial argument from design, yeah. as you've postulated, yeah. the fine-tuning argument, how strong do you think that is? Like any theory, you have to look at what the alternatives are. And it's only as strong as the weakness of the alternatives, so to speak. Now, the alternatives here you know, are possibly it's a chance the universe being this way is a chance thing. Or possibly we have a multiverse within which there are many, many, many universes and only one of the right kind or possibly a small number of the right kind for there to be human beings or living things generally. Now, that's a possible answer. And the way in which, to my mind, one can get something of a resolution here would be if, in fact, that theory, the multiverse theory, could be converted into a fully scientific theory, which has not yet happened, then, in fact, it would decrease the plausibility of that argument from design. All of that... Uh, Ernan rejects intelligent design, a traditional argument from design where God would need to intervene. He prefers a contemporary fine-tuning argument from design where God from the beginning got it right, structuring the universe to bring forth human life. After all, why would God, being perfect, need to intervene? But Ernan concurs that multiple universes, if real, would decrease the plausibility of any argument from design. Although Ernan avows universal design, he does not take design as a standalone argument for the existence of God. Rather, he embeds it in the ultimate metaphysical question, why is there anything at all? I like the priority, focusing on stark existence rather than relying on illusory design makes the strongest case, I think, for God. But I worry that philosophical subtleties may undermine the argument. I ask a philosopher known for his hard-nosed analysis and iconoclastic opinions, Colin McGinn. Colin, the famous argument from design was very powerful and then with Darwin fell into disrepute. 
uh, it seems to have been revived lately, particularly with the fine-tuning of the universe. Uh, as a philosopher, how do you look upon the argument of design, not in its old incarnation, but in its present one? Well, it's not fallacious in its form. If you observe design in the universe, it's reasonable to suppose there was a designer. And if you've got no other account of how it came about, then it's a reasonable hypothesis. The designer might not have been God, it might have been a Martian. That's one of the problems with the old argument from design. It could have been any designer. It doesn't have to be the traditional Christian God or anything like that. So if somebody wanted to resurrect the argument from design, looking at fine-tuning of, of variables, that only these, these particular fine-tunings would exist, could allow life to exist and so on, you'd have to look at that in its own terms and say, well, is there any alternative to the God hypothesis for it? And there generally is an alternative to that. Uh, also, you've got to look to see whether the data really calls for an explanation. In the case of the, the old argument from design, it did call for an explanation because of intricacy, purpose, and so on. You, you needed something special to explain that. Natural selection does explain it. In the case of the fine-tuning of the universe, so-called, where things have got to have very specific values for certain things to be possible, it isn't clear to me that needs any explanation because whatever the universe is going to be, it's going to have some level of you know, values for these variables. So whichever universe you're going to be in, you're going to wonder, well, why those particular values? It has to have some particular values. It couldn't have vague values. It has to have some values. There's no temptation there, I think, to postulate an intelligence to explain the values, unless you suppose that they were designed to produce us. Well, the, the, but why suppose that? Again, the values that we have, though, are, are, are have to be within very fine limits in order to have mm. the emergence of life. Well, then the answer to that is that we wouldn't have existed without mm -hmm. those values being as they are. And so we wouldn't have raised the question, of course, unless the values right. were as they right. were. Right. And that's just the way things are. Right. People call the that the anthropic principle. But it's, it's just a simple point of, of, of common sense. It doesn't have any further repercussions or implications. Well, the probability of all these constant being within these small ranges seems to be very low. Right. Uh, then, then the probability of our existence is very low. That's but, the right but, conclusion. But vanishingly low. Vanishingly low, yes, indeed, it might well be. Our existence might be extremely improbable. I mean, it was, an, it was the old point of Stephen Jay Gould that even putting aside these questions from, from physics, it was evolutionarily extremely yeah, improbable yeah, that we would yeah, exist. And in fact, right. it is extremely yeah. improbable. And within the mechanisms of evolution, there's no a priori reason why consciousness and intelligence should ever evolve, because the whole system is just based on how reproductively successful you are. And there are ways of being reproductively successful which don't require intelligence. And in both areas, in, in physics and, and, and cosmology, where you have these apparent fine-tuning, and in biology, where there was no necessity for this, and if both probabilities are vanishingly small, you don't think that's a problem that, that calls out for explanation? I think the only conclusion to draw is that we are hugely contingent. It was massively improbable that we existed. It was massively improbable that many species existed. Lots of things happen that are very improbable all the time. So our existence, you know, it's a, it's a blow to our dignity to think that we just happen to exist by the skin of our teeth. But that's just the way things are. That doesn't lead me to any... I follow Colin's logic, but resist his conclusion. The test I suspect is consciousness. If the existence of consciousness is like the evolution of a species, random and accidental, then yes, I'd relent. I'd have to accept that life and mind in the universe just is hugely contingent as well as massively improbable. But if consciousness is in some sense special, 
I ask a physicist who takes consciousness seriously. Paul Davies does not believe in God, but he also does not believe that the universe is without meaning. What I think all scientists agree is that we don't just live in any old universe. It's a universe that's incredibly ordered, uh, ingenious, and surprising in as much as it allows beings like ourselves to exist and ask these questions and to come to understand the universe. And inevitably, it raises the big issue about why this universe? Could it have been otherwise? And if so, why is it as it is? Now, I have to say that most of my scientific colleagues say, stop worrying about these things, just get on with the job. Accept the universe as a package of marvels that just happens to be. Uh, that ultimately, if you press these people, they say, ultimately, there is no reason for why things are as they are. The universe Brute fact, so, absurd, pointless. That's right. It's always seemed to me extraordinary to believe that the universe is actually, in this sense, a fake. It's just mimicking meaningfulness. Is the rationality and logical character of the universe, which is the, the foundation of science, uh, is that ultimately rooted in absurdity? Uh, I find that very hard to imagine. So then uh, there's another point of view which says, no, the universe is thoroughly rational at all levels, but th there's only one way it can be. If we understood enough about it, if we had some sort of wonderful final theory of everything, we would see that there's nothing left uh, to choose. There are no free parameters. The so-called grand yeah. unification theory. That's right. Now, I think that argument is actually easily knocked down. A lot of people uh, support it. But it's very easy to think of other theories which uh, describe logically possible worlds. Not this world, impoverished uh, descriptions thereof, but nevertheless logically possible worlds. So I think there clearly are an infinite number of ways uh, that you could produce no free parameter theories. So it still only shifts the problem up a level. So what's next? So maybe we're just winners in a gigantic cosmic lottery, that what we've been calling the universe all along is nothing of the sort. It's just a small component in a vast multiverse in this maybe infinite sea of universes. And the key thing here is instead of the, the laws of physics being ultimate, universal, absolute, uh, fixed laws, uh, they can vary from one to the other. And then, of course, it's no surprise that here and there, just by chance, uh, there's going to be a universe in which the laws come together in the right way uh, to produce life and observers. Now, that uh, point of view is very popular, but I think it has its own problems, not least of which is that you have to accept on faith the existence of this vast multiplicity of universes. Now, we obviously have a theological explanation. So, so then we're getting a bit stuck. So, you know, what about the traditional one, the sort of obvious one, the universe looks as if it's been designed. Maybe it has been designed. Maybe there's a designer. Now, this has its own problems because you have to assume that this god is uh, somehow sort of pre-existing, is there before the universe, uh, and has worked it all out and waves a magic wand and brings the universe into existence. And inevitably, people will say, well, how did this god come to exist? This isn't an ultimate explanation. This is just shifting the problem and dumping it in the lap of an unexplained uh, superbeing. Now, more careful theologians will argue uh, that it's uh, maybe possible to have a super being of this sort whose existence is contained within itself. That is, God explains God's self rather than having to depend on something else. Uh, now, that's a deep philosophical argument, and I'm not convinced it's actually been successful, but some theologians will try to make that argument. Well, you need it to stop the... The, the infinite regress. The difficulty with all of these explanations is sometimes called the Tower of Turtles problems, that each uh, uh, explanation seems to depend upon an assumption of something else, an assumption of something else. 
And then that leads to the idea that uh, maybe there's a levitating super turtle that's holding this whole Tower of Turtles up. And your levitating super turtle and my levitating super turtle might be different. You may say, well, I'm happy to accept the existence of, a, of an unexplained god. I might say, I'm happy to accept the existence of a set of unexplained laws. And we can argue all night over whether your idea is more ridiculous than my idea. But we're having to stop somewhere. And so I've been looking for a way of breaking out of that, trying to say, well, you know, maybe this bio-friendly universe has engineered its own fine-tuning, that the parameters that look as though they've been set, they look like a fix, they look like they've been designed for life. You know, maybe the universe is self-designing, self-creating. Now, it's easy to put that into words. Can we make it work scientifically? And the first thing you have to accept, if you want that, is that the laws of physics are not sort of absolute God-given or otherwise pre-existing things, that there is uh, some sort of lassitude or flexibility in those laws, and that somehow the existence of observers resolves that flexibility or ambiguity. In other words, the uh, observers in the universe uh, are part of the explanation for why the universe can give rise to the observers. It becomes a self-consistent argument. Now, that seems absurd because it makes it look like our existence now has some effect back in time on the Big Bang. Backwards causation. Backwards causation. Now, that looks like a science fiction idea, but actually it is part of fundamental physics. It's part of what is known as quantum physics. It's been known for a long time. When human beings or any other beings make observations of the world at the quantum level, which generally is the atomic or subatomic level, that there's an inherent uncertainty at this subatomic level that is resolved when the observation is made. It doesn't mean we're creating the past. It doesn't mean we're affecting the past. We're not sending information back in time. What we're doing is, by our observations today, we're changing or at least affecting or contributing to the nature of reality that was even billions of years ago. Now, normally this is regarded as a tiny effect an effect uh, also that is relevant only to matter, not to the underlying laws. What I'm saying is that we should extend this quantum fuzziness to the laws as well, and so that observations made today affect the nature of the laws as well as the nature of matter even in the remote past. Now, it may seem that these observations are only going to affect things on a very tiny scale, but if we take into account the whole vast future of the universe and the possibility that life and mind will spread throughout the whole cosmos, we can begin to see the possibility of a universe which is engineering its own self-awareness. And so the fine-tuning is something that the universe itself can do. This is uh, dealing with what's called teleology. We're assuming that the end result has somehow been baked in from the beginning, which is, uh, at least in the science world, something that, that is most scientists like to avoid. Teleology is anathema to scientists. <laughs> and it has, of course, a respectable history. It goes back to ancient Greece, and Aristotle talked about final causes. And I think in daily life, we have no difficulty with this. For example, uh, if you ask, what is my wife doing in the kitchen? The answer is she's baking a cake. That's the reason that she's uh, mixing the ingredients and heating the oven and so on. Uh, and I think we all understand uh, this notion of, with human agency, that it's, uh, there's a point or a purpose or an end goal to it. Um, the difficulty is, can we apply this in nature? When we come to things like the motion of the planets, it seems sort of absurd that there's a, a purpose or a point. They're not they're striving towards some final goal. They're just doing what planets have to do. So then, reintroducing this as an explanation for the universe as a whole uh, might seem a bit of a stretch to many scientists. But I think that, that uh, what I want to do is to introduce uh, teleology not for any uh, individual motion of a particular atom or a planet or anything of that sort, but 
literally the entire universe. And you can only do that if you have a looping back, because there's got to be some element of, of retrocausation. Then you can do it. Otherwise, it's just completely mystical to say that the universe is, is directed towards something. But if it's got this self-consistency, self-causation, self-explanatory quality, then I think you can get away with it. But of course, it's still a huge step. And uh, I'm bound to say, when we put that alongside the other explanations uh, for existence, it, it, it looks ridiculous too. <laughs> <laughs> the universe is indeed congenial to life, which with fine tuning demands explanation. The universe certainly appears to be designed. But if you're rooting for God, I'm afraid that design, at best, is a standoff. Here are five possible explanations for apparent design. One, there is no explanation. The universe just is a brute fact. Two, the laws of physics can be only one way. But if brute fact are only one way for physics, why so lucky to have life in mind? Three, multiple universes. Anything that can happen must happen, including us. We may be vanishingly rare, but here we are. Four, designer creator. But even then, why God? The super designer could be a super alien or an impersonal force. Five, the universe is self-causing. Reality is teleological, about something. Backward causation seems absurd, of course, but so do all the explanations. For me for now, arguing from design to God faces the dual defeaters of multiple universes and Darwinian evolution. All that's left for God, if there is a God, is pure existence. Not the design of stuff in existence, but existence itself, full stop. Is pure existence closer to truth? To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.